welcome. Welcome back to the CBJ show. I'm Brandon. Alongside me is Jason. And we're back. We're happy to be back. It's been a long hiatus, but all that matters is we're back um, more than ever. March Madness just finished up. The NFL draft is coming up. Baseball opening day has started. So, so much to talk about. So much to get into. This will probably, we'll probably have to continue our NFL talks next episode. But with that, let's jump in. All right, so March Madness 2023 is in the books. Um, we'll start with the men's side before we jump quickly to the women's side, but this was the craziest March Madness I've seen in men's basketball history, at least for the past few years. Everything was going wrong. Um, upsets galore. Um, I'm still in shock thinking about this from that Furman upset against Virginia where the guy just decide to chuck the ball up and lose the game on purpose. Um, but, I don't know, it was crazy. In the end, UConn as the five seed, or the four seed, my bad. They were the four seed. They won their fifth national championship as they won 76-59 over San Diego State University. Um, other than UConn, San Diego State, Miami, and Florida Atlantic Un- University, all have made their first Final Four appearance. So, exciting. Um, new faces. Um, some Got some stats, some block leaders. Um, from San Diego State, Nathan Mensa had 14 blocks, followed by Jerace Walker with 12, who was in the ACC. We know a lot about um, Houston. Houston's going to be even better with... Um, Damien Dunn, I want to say, just moved to transfer to Houston. Um, so they only lost two games entering the tournament, and they were don- dominant. They're leaving the ACC. Um, I forget where they're going, but it will be an exciting conference. From UConn, Donovan Clingain, uh had 11 blocks, um, followed by Trace Jackson Davis with 10 from Indiana. So just to uh, name a few. With assists, it was Marquez Now from the Kansas State Wildcats, 54. The next closest person was Andre Jackson Jr., 41. And he played two more games than Noel, but Noel is just incredible. I was bummed to see them lose. I want to say they lost to... I can't remember who they lost to. Um, Try and blank, but... Kansas State was definitely a good game, good team. They went down. And Jackson's Andre's teammate, Tristan Noonan, with 33 assists. So just pure, uh, interesting that um, difference. And rebounds were a key thing, obviously. Both offense, defense. Leader went to Norcad, Norcad Omir with 60 rebounds. Um, he just squeaked out. Adama Sanogo, who, um, if you watch the championship, was incredible during that. He was incredible during the whole run for UConn. Followed by, oh, uh, Sanogo had 59, Omer had 60. So just name a few stats right off uh, the top there. It was exciting, fascinating. UConn ended up champions. Jason, you want to add anything? 
Yeah, I think this is probably one of the more unpredictable March Madnesses we've had in quite some time. I mean, I look at my bracket, and it's probably the worst one I've ever put together. It was impossible because the one, the few upsets that you try to pick, they don't follow through, and when you pick the favorites, they, they all get upset. I mean, you, we saw the second time in, ever in NCAA history where a one seed gets upset by a 16 seed with fairly Dickinson upsetting Purdue, which nobody could have ever predicted um and i don't know i'm just very very surprised to see all these upsets and to see all these favorites and one seeds go down so early was really surprising um but we did see um a lot of big culture shifts and a ton of teams um i loved how you miami with jay laranega that felt that felt like that was pretty special like you mentioned marquise noel for kansas state um mr new york city as they call him at madison square garden putting on a show um he's from new york city um, I believe he's been in college for like four or five years um, across multiple schools, but he had like I think close to 20 points and 20 assists in that Michigan State game, if I'm not mistaken, um, for Kansas State. And that was pretty incredible to watch. Um, and like all everything sort of coming to the end with the random, most random Final Four I think we've seen in quite some time. I mean, we could have had a South Florida battle in the finals with FAU versus Miami, but ended up both of them losing, and then we had UConn-San Diego State. The last time they played was actually was a Kawhi Leonard versus Kemba Walker battle back in 2011, um, which was quite the game as Kemba Walker, cardiac Kemba, as he's known for his amazing March Madness performances um, back over 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, UConn's always had a really prestigious basketball program, and to see them come back and win it just like they did um, with Kemba Walker, and this team was pretty special this year, and I was just really happy to see um, UConn win, especially as a New Englander, I guess those, that's sort of our team to root for, um, as they're the closest um, to us at, um, in the Boston area. Um, but you know, I was pretty happy to see that. But I don't know. I'm just a lot of teams didn't follow through um, with how far I um, had them going in the bracket. It was just hard to watch because there are a lot of teams that I really liked during the actual college basketball season that just you know they they didn't really prove. Um, their capabilities in March Madness, which really um, stinks. But at the same time, um, I love seeing these upsets, and I think that's what makes for great March Madness basketball. I think it's interesting. You mentioned, uh, obviously, fairly, fairly Dickinson upsetting Purdue and kind of said, like, oh, no one kind of expected it. But I feel like if there was one number one seed to lose, it was Purdue. Um, I just remember, obviously – the head coach for Fairleigh Dickinson said, we, we can shock the world. We can beat Purdue. Um, and I think after we've seen a couple more 15 seeds winning um, against the two seeds, ever since UMBC uh, beat Virginia a few years ago, it opens the door that no matter if you're one, two, three, eight, nine, you got to play your best basketball that day. It doesn't matter how you play in the re- rest of the season. For the previous uh, yeah, during the regular season, you made it to the big dance. All that matters is you're you want to keep dancing, you want to hear the music playing. Um, so I do find that that interesting, but in the end, UConn was national champs. On the women's side, LSU beat Iowa. Um, I guess the biggest name from the women's championship was Iowa's Caitlin Clark, who put on a clinic during the uh, women's men, uh, women's basket uh, March Madness tournament. It was a bummer that the refs had influence with the championship game. 
Clark with her a couple more teammates got into foul trouble early. Uh, LSU was just dominant from the beginning. Even when Iowa came up, tried to come up uh, and cut down into that lead, it was all LSU. In the end, LSU scored 102 points in the championship. First time ever that any team has scored triple digits in the championship game for the women's basketball game. Uh, they won 102-85 against Iowa, but it was still incredible to watch. I don't know if you have anything else to add, Jason, on that. Yeah, I really um, – Caitlin Clark, I thought, um, took um, basketball fans by notice. I mean, you look at women's basketball the past few years, and I feel like it's been pretty disrespected because um, people see them as inferior to men's basketball, but I feel like there was sort of a big shift here, um, and now people aren't really joking around with women's basketball, and people are tuning in to see these type of players like Caitlin Clark, and you see her putting on 41-point triple doubles, um, being um, sort of being like that – ice in her veins type of player that um, I guess the world really needed to see in women's basketball because um, there really just weren't that many personalities that people would tune into games for. Um, but, you know, when you watch Caitlin Clark, you see someone who has um, so much confidence taking threes from the logo constantly, um, getting your teammates open. And, you know, that's just the type of basketball that we want to see. And I feel like um, all this trash talking that she had as well, that's something that the game really needs. Um, and I don't know, I feel, I feel like women's basketball is now a lot more respected than it was about a month ago um, because of this incredible run by Caitlin Clark. And also um, LSU's Angel Reese also got into a bit of um, trash talk with Caitlin Clark as well. And I feel like um, she's someone who people look up to as well. She had an outstanding tournament as well. And she, her team obviously um, ended up winning it all. But I will say, I think Caitlin Clark had a big shift um, in um, how people, I guess, sort of view women's basketball today? Uh, yeah. That I was thinking about something else, but I didn't have anything else. It's incredible um, what she did in this tournament. But with that, I think we'll wrap up our March Madness uh, conversation. Um, we'll, Jim Nance will be missed. I don't know if you, Jason, got a chance to watch um, his little tribute at the intro of the final, the national championship on Monday, but CBS did a great job. Um, he will definitely be missed, but at least you still got Kevin Harlan. I think Kevin Harlan, his calls are incredible. Um, with that, we're going to move on to NFL free agency. NFL draft is coming up at the end of this month. Jason, take it away. Yeah, I mean, we got a huge free agency this year. Um, it's a big market, of course, um, but I will say it was not as exciting as maybe last year's offseason was with all the a lot of quarterback moves. I mean, there are some that are about to, that will potentially happen, which we'll get into later with Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson, but I will say it's been quite quiet. I mean, we saw Aaron Rodgers get a big contract last year. We saw Deshaun Watson get traded. We saw um, Russell Wilson get traded and another – and a handful of other names um, changing teams. Um, but I don't know, this year it's been pretty quiet, but I think the biggest thing that we've seen this offseason was that huge splash between in, in a deal between the Panthers and the Bears. And I feel like it's really controversial because both teams got a big haul. Um, and it was um, the Panthers essentially moving up to the first overall pick, and then they would the Bears would take 
the Carolina Panthers' original first-round pick at pick 9. They also get their 61st pick, which is in the second round. They get a 2024 first, a 2025 second, as well as wide receiver DJ Moore. Um, and it's a big call for a first-round pick. The Bears are getting a ton um, for that value, and the Bears really traded out of there because they didn't really want to take a quarterback, and they knew they could get value for um, for that pick for in exchange for um, assets of a team that really wants a quarterback. And the Panthers are a pretty quarterback-hungry team right now, and um, they're going to move up to number one. And I think like this 99.9% means that they're taking a quarterback. It's a great quarterback class compared to last year. Um, you have a ton of blue ship prospects and a ton of other great prospects. Um, but um, yeah, and the Chicago Bears, like I said, big, big haul. I mean, you're getting Justin Fields, a number one wide receiver in this trade, um, as well as a ton more draft assets. They get to move down in the first round to take a player of their liking rather than um, being forced to look at quarterbacks because, I mean, I think the Bears have their franchise guy. Um, and, you know, they're going to be in a really good spot because Justin Fields has his number one. Um, they had a great free agency, bringing a ton of great talent and um, getting more draft picks. Carolina is not going to have a ton of draft picks in the near future. Um, so I think Chicago is walking away with this feeling like we got our quarterback, we got our wide receiver one, we made some great free agency signings, and we have a ton of future. We have a huge future, whereas the Panthers are like, we're giving up everything in order to get our franchise guy. And... People were thinking, oh, they traded DJ Moore. How is this franchise quarterback not going to have any um, wide receivers to throw to? But in between that trade and now, they actually made some great signings, getting Adam Thielen and DJ Chark to Carolina. So I think Chicago Bear, the Chicago Bears are playing it very safe here, and they have a ton to, here to do. But I think Carolina, they're going for a big, big risk. And um, if this does not pan out, it could be one of the worst trades in NFL history. Well, I think before we declare it either a good or bad trade we'll have to figure out if they want to spend any more in free agency how they'll uh handle the draft which i i think what i'm hearing and jason you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's the plan or they should at least go after uh bryce bryce young bryce hall is the running back in the jets um they're gonna go after bryce hall uh or bryce young um they need a new quarterback, and I think it'll be interesting to see how well the Panthers did. Last year, I'm going to use this as an example, they traded Christian McCaffrey, they got rid of their, fired their coach, all that, and they still became uh, a good team. They almost won the division because the Bucks somehow almost um, flopped at the last second, or choked. Uh, in the Atlanta Falcons case. Um, but I think it's hard to know where the Panthers are right now. I think trading DJ Moore was a big ass, uh, uh, not a big ass, but big aspect of their team last year. It's a bummer he won't be there, but I think, like last year, I think Carolina will surprise us. Yeah, they absolutely should. And like you mentioned, they're in a very weak division. The Buccaneers losing Tom Brady, this means this division is wide open for any team to get all four teams, I think, are pretty even right now. And I think it's this quarterback who the Carolina Panthers will take is going to sort of take them over the top. It could be Bryce Young. Um, I feel like for a Frank Reich scheme, I think C.J. Stroud is, out of Ohio State is probably the better fit. Um, but I do think Bryce Young has more – he's a better processing of the game. He's 
better mentally and his improvisation is really impressive whereas cj stroud's a great pocket passer um and gives you what you need in an accurate quarterback um so I honestly have no idea who um, the Carolina Panthers are going to take. I think it's probably going to be one of Young or Stroud. Um, if I were them, I think Stroud is the better system fit, although I think Young has the better mental processing of the game. Um, but I don't know. I, I think you can't really go wrong. I don't really see any of the any of those guys being bust type of guys. I think they're both very safe, and you know what you're going to get out of them. Um, so they can they, they hit on this pick. They get their quarterback that they want. Um, develops chemistry with the receivers. Um, Carolina's going to be in a good spot, and I, I'm really excited for their future because they do not need to do much to win this division. Moving to talk about Rodgers, Lamar. It's complicated. I think is a really good word to start. So obviously, for anyone who's not caught up, the Rodgers and the Packers you could see from last year, the chemistry seemed to start to unfold a little bit. Um, if you want to say there was like a link between the Packers and Rodgers, you could say uh, the link kind of snapped. No surprise that Rodgers wanted to leave. Interesting to know that heading into his retreat, he didn't want to, he wanted to retire. Coming out of it, he wanted to still play just for another team. And while we still wait for all the final details with it. It'll be interesting with the draft. How do both teams go through the draft? Obviously, Green Bay wants Jordan Love as their future quarterback. They don't need a quarterback, but they need aspects around it. They need O-line. They need wide receivers, tight ends. It'll be interesting to see how both teams go through the draft with Rodgers kind of in what I like to call as a gray area. It's not on the Packers. He's not on the Jets. He's nowhere. Um, and same thing with Lamar Jackson. He's not on the Ravens right now. He's kind of in that gray area as well. Do they go after a QB? Do they think he comes back? Do they say, okay, we think he'll come back. We'll just go aspects, uh, rookies, prospects, whatever around him. Or do they say he may not come back. We need someone else. Um, and I can't remember, but I just vaguely feel like the, quarterback situation in Baltimore is not is a little shaky after Lamar yeah I mean you losing Lamar a generational type of um runner at the quarterback position that, I mean, that's tough I mean they've given them some good teams but I will say that they have not given them the best receivers so I honestly don't really blame Lamar for wanting to leave and as far as filling the position filling the position of quarterback um I mean they have Tyler Huntley guess you can say you have another Pro Bowl quarterback as he was actually selected to the Pro Bowl as a replacement somehow last year. But I mean, he's definitely not a long-term guy. I think he was pretty bad in the playoffs. Um, and um, it'll be interesting because um, teams need to go in the draft, into the draft knowing their needs. And if there's still the possibility of Lamar returning, but they're unsure, it's going to be pretty hard to try to build a team around, um, build a team around him because they can either go into the draft acting like he's on the team or acting like they, they don't have a, a franchise quarterback and they have to approach it a completely different way and potentially even try to take a quarterback at some point during the draft because of this uncertainty. So I'm hoping that before the draft, this is all um, sort of cleared up. Um, and I just don't really know what teams are going to really want, Lamar. Not many teams are showing interest. The only team I've really heard about is the Colts, um, but they're also going to take a quarterback in the draft with their fourth overall pick. Um, so... I don't really know where Lamar is going to go. I think um, he could get dealt pretty soon, but 
um, he could be still um, in trade talks in July or something like that. Speaking of Lamar, let's talk about the New England Patriots since we know uh, the Patriots had some rumors to be interested in Lamar. Bill Belichick wants to decline that. Maybe it was just people coming up to Kraft and saying, oh, this is what you should. And then lately, we've gotten the news that um, the Patriots may be shop, uh, shopping Mac Jones, meaning that they want to get rid of him. Um, I guess first, what do you think about all this news, the Lamar, Mac Jones saga, and what do the Patriots need to do with the draft? I don't think they should do anything at the quarterback position at all. I think they're perfectly fine. Um, I mean, I think the reason that they're trying to shot Mac is because of a lack of trust between him and Bill Belichick. Last year, he sort of sought outside sources to help him learn the offense because he was really frustrated with Matt Patricia's system. And that's what sort of led to a lot of controversy. Um, um, There was definitely a bit of a distance between Mac and Bill last year, which probably is the reason why... um, Bill was sort of looking to shop him to um, a lot of other teams. But I really don't think you can give up on him. You spend a first-round pick on him. He's supposed to be your franchise guy, and I just don't think you give up on a guy after just two years because I feel like he hasn't had the receiving core um, that um, a lot of other young quarterbacks have gotten um, in their young careers. And um, I think this is probably the best receiving core he's ever had this year, um, bringing in a lot of good pieces like Juju and Gusecki. Um, it'd be great pass catchers for him. And um, I think that you got to give Mac another year or two because we don't really know what quarterbacks are like. The year three process is normally where the biggest improvement is in a quarterback. And I wouldn't really want to miss out on seeing year three of Mac Jones in another uniform because um, I, I think he belongs here. And I don't think Lamar um, should um, end up here. I mean, I love Lamar, but I really don't think it's worth it in all the draft picks. I think they should just keep Mac Jones for this year. And if it doesn't work out, you have another, I think, starting caliber quarterback on roster with Zappi. So I, I don't think that the Patriots are in as much quarterback trouble as the media is making it out to be right now. So I'm going to say two things. One, we'll start with the, the Mac Jones situation, um, or with Lamar Jackson. They shouldn't go after I agree with you. They should not go after him with the draft pick. But also, Lamar Jackson's injury prone. He's too likely to get injured here or there. It's not worth it. He makes the spectacular plays, but if he can't play half of the season, it's not worth paying him so much money and you're going to lose so many aspects. Uh, or, yeah, your draft picks. On a second note, I don't think, as much as I know you love Zappi, Zappi is not the answer for the Patriots, and it would be a real struggle if the Patriots let go of Mac Jones and didn't get someone like Lamar Jackson. I'll leave it at that. You can um, think about it as you listen. If you're Team Zappy or Team Mac, um, I know I'm. I know Jason will say he's Team Mac, but also he's Team Zappy, so you can throw it there. Um, and I think the biggest need for the Patriots at the draft is a cornerback. Obviously, that's been they brought back Jalen Mills. Um, got a couple more aspects, or um, it's all good for them. I actually don't think cornerback is as big of a need as some people are saying. I think they actually have a pretty competent core. I like uh, Jack Jones, uh, who came in as a rookie and really impressed. Jonathan Jones, a fantastic veteran. Um, they have Jalen Mills, as you mentioned. He's back. Um, and it's a bit it's a bit of a thin position at times, but 
you know, I think if they have two or three starters that can get the job done, I don't think it's as big of a need. I think I think they're really going to try to address wide receivers. They've been really aggressive the past few weeks in trying to get um, receivers to come visit Gillette Stadium and a ton of uh, the top first-round um, caliber prospects. And I've just I feel like this is the year that they try to land one of those big-time receivers. This is a pretty um, front-loaded receiving class. It's not as deep as a class like a few years ago. Um but um, I think if you land one of those top guys, uh, I think that's sort of the route they're going to take. I think they like Jordan Addison out of USC, Zay Flowers, Boston College, and Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. So I think that they're probably going to um, – I think probably wide receiver will be addressed. They don't really have that true number one, and I think they're going to try to fix that problem because of how aggressive they've been in trying to get these wide receiver visits happen. And I really haven't seen it happen with – position like offensive tackle or cornerback and I feel like it's not the top cornerbacks will be gone um by the time the Patriots are on the clock at 14 because I really like this cornerback class there's a ton of guys that will probably go top 10 or right before the Patriots so I think wide receiver is probably the biggest position of need and I think this is the most likely year ever um in, in at least the last few years that they're going to go take a receiver probably in the last four years since the Nikhil Harry experiment they've tried to shy away from taking receivers and When's the year it's going to happen? I think this is the year. All right. With more draft coverage coming up as it gets closer, follow us on Instagram, Twitter. We'll be posting some things there. NBA playoffs are coming uh, very soon. Uh, the last regular season is tomorrow. Celtics, I think, playing the Hawks, I want to say. With that, we're going to jump into a little bit of talking about the playoffs what we've seen from teams both in the East and the West. We won't go through every team, but we'll start, obviously, with the East with the Celtics. And lately, I know people are saying, okay, the Celtics are the two seed. If they play Milwaukee, game seven's in Milwaukee. For a team that was in first place for majority of the season, it's a bummer that it's a shame that they are not number one. I'm looking at is, the Celtics are a very good team. They play on the road well. They play at home well. The biggest thing is injuries. Um, for example, the Heat. Celtics play the Heat twice, who they may have to play in the first round. Both times they were missing key players, including Brown, Smart, um, and Rob, Rob Williams. So when the Celtics are healthy, they're a dangerous team. They can make it back to the NBA Finals. The conference championship against Milwaukee it's a bummer they don't get home court but in in the end I think the Celtics are better better than Milwaukee and at the end of the day it's a better team that wins so I think the Celtics do have a chance to make a deep run but they gotta play their best basketball yeah I think they're absolutely capable of going into Milwaukee and winning a game seven they've been a very good road team this year um and I feel like home court advantage or on the road doesn't really make a difference for them because of how talented everybody is and how well they work as a unit. Um, so, I mean, if they do have to play a game seven on the road in a, in the conference finals this year, if it's against Milwaukee, um, so let that be. I think they're going to be just fine um, because of how great they are as a unit. And I think we're also seeing some players um, shine on their own. I think Derek White is really coming into his own this year. Um, Post-All-Star break, I think he's averaging like 15-4-4 four and four or something close to that um and his month of february averaged close to 20 points um and he's been pretty special lately and um i think he's gonna be a huge part 
um, to this team's success, you know, outside of Tatum and Brown, of course. And Brown's been taking his game to a new level. Tatum's taking his game to a new level. They're averaging a combined 57 points per game. Um, and I don't know, I, th- I think their defense is um, incredible and um, they can win under Missoula. I mean, there were questions coming in to this year if Missoula would be a drop-off from Udoka. I mean, I do think he is, but uh, I will say Missoula's done a pretty good job. And I think that, you know, you don't have to ask, ask much of him because of how talented and how good the chemistry is for a unit that's been working together for a pretty long time. And I think this is probably their best chance to win a ring um, in this Tatum-Brown era. At the three seed in the East is Philly. Philly has been a dangerous team recently. Celtics, Sixers. Joel Embiid is a monster. He put up, what, what 52 points, I want to say, in that game. He carries that team. I think the Sixers can make a deep run. Um, obviously, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but the Sixers have been dominant all year. Um, had some ups and downs, but I think they can make a deep run. Uh, I don't know about you, Jason, but I think out of looking at the other teams, Cleveland 4, New York 5, Brooklyn 6. Outside Boston, Milwaukee, I want to say Philly, Cleveland are the two dangerous teams to both Milwaukee and Boston. Yeah, I absolutely think that. I I think, I know I said this about the Celtics, but I don't know, this Sixers team seems pretty special and different than um, a lot of their past teams that um, have sort of failed to make it over that hump of getting to the NBA Finals. Um, but I don't know, I feel like... Um, the way they've been playing as a unit and um, also with the NBA domination, um, like at a new level than we've ever seen before, the guy's averaging like three points a game um, and his surrounding talent um, is really stepped up. I've loved Therese Maxey and James Harden's been taking the backseat as a second, uh, the number two guy, but also um, having the best um, distributing season um, as a passer um, in his NBA career at age 33 is pretty impressive and um i don't know i think their coaching is really good um they have good bench depth and uh the way they've been playing as of late um they've um put themselves in a position where they're going to be playing brooklyn nets um in the first round um that's going to be a tough matchup for them but i don't know i feel like this sixers team is capable of being a team like milwaukee um and i feel like honestly i feel like the sixers actually might be the a top two team in the east that i think um could be in the conference finals with the celtics i think I think the Bucks are a bit um, iffy because of their health. A lot of guys haven't been healthy at the same time. Um, Chris Mills has been very limited this season. I'm only playing 24 minutes a game um, and not getting the same usage that he um, normally gets. But I, I think Philly is this is definitely the best team they've had um, with Joel Embiid um, on the roster, um, and it's win now for them. That this is this is their best shot right here. Jason mentioned Sixers, Nets in the first round. It's actually funny. They're playing each other for the final regular season game. So um, maybe they can figure out. The Nets are definitely a surprising team. I thought, especially after the trade deadline, once they got rid of um, well, they got rid of Harden last year, they got then this year they got rid of Durant and Irving. I, I thought Brooklyn was going to decline a lot more than they did. But some names um, who I don't know, stepped up um and i say i don't know because i didn't even really know them when uh, i think i was watching games and i would see who was starting but 
I don't think the Nets are a dangerous team. I don't think Knicks are um, Milwaukee's injury prone. I really think you could see a chance where it's Boston Philly in the Eastern Conference Final. Not going to count it out as an option. Yeah, I want to say one more thing about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I really love the way they've transitioned um, to these new players. Um, you've seen the versions of Cal Bridges, um, basically his Iron Man, who's never missed a game in his uh, five-year NBA career and three years at Villanova. This guy does not get injured at all. And with the Nets, he's averaging 27.2 points per game in 26 games to the Nets. That's more points than Kyrie averaged with the Nets um, this, this season. Um, this guy is taking this team um, to a place where um, they are in a comfortable playoff spot. Um, they don't have to have um, be in the play-in. And I don't know, I feel like um, this Nets team, they're more relaxed than before. And um, I, I could really see this team um, being some playoff series. Pretty, obviously, they have to play Philly, but I think they're a team that's capable of forcing a game seven. We've seen um, a lot of teams force some competitive series and I think Brooklyn's one of them. They have a really um great unit. Um I love um the returns they got for um Katie and Kyrie, especially the Kyrie Irving deal. Um where they got um Dorian Finney Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie and Spencer Dinwiddie's had the most assists in the NBA since the All Star break. And then Macal Bridges for Kevin Durant was literally the perfect swap ever and they get all those draft picks. And I, like I said, Macal Bridges averaging 27.2 points per game in 26 games with the Brooklyn Nets is just out of this world. This guy is crazy efficient, and uh, he's a big star in the making. Now, honestly, looks like one of the best players in the NBA right now. Speaking of the playing game, the Celtics as the two seed will get to host the winner of the 7-8 game. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize that 7 plays 8. I thought it was still the 7 plays the 10. Um, and so I was like, oh, there's a possibility that Atlanta could be the seven and Miami's the eight. Now, neither of those, um, questions, um, I was correct about. And as a result, they'll either play Miami or Atlanta. Um, hence why I mentioned the, um, Celtics keep matchup earlier with the Celtics talk, but either way, if it's Miami with Jimmy Butler, or if it's Atlanta with Trey Young coming, Celtics should still be able to win that series. And if I had to guess, I'm going to guess Celtics in six. Yeah, the Celtics are probably going to breeze through whoever they play in the first round. Um, I think if it's Miami, it would be more competitive than a series with Atlanta, um, just because of the history of Miami versus Boston and how competitive that is. I mean, last year it took a game seven. Um, and of a choke from the Miami Heat, and um, they've been pretty injured this year. They haven't really had everybody healthy at the same time, so we don't really know their identity too much. But what I do know is that when they're healthy in the playoffs, they're a team that is like they are definitely a team that can force an upset. Um, and I, I think it's pretty unlikely that we see them sort of have a scenario where they they had two years ago where they just randomly get swept by Milwaukee. Because I I don't know I thought they were good, probably going to force a game seven that year. And then the next year, they just come back and um, we're one win away from uh, playing the Warriors in the NBA Finals. So um, I-, I could see it being really competitive. Jimmy Butler always um, is um, on his A game uh, against the Celtics in the playoffs. Um, and he- he's had some pretty historic playoff performances. And they have a good unit. They have depth 
every year. Um, and um, yeah, I think they can probably force a good series, but I would probably say Celtics in six or seven against the Heat. But if it's Atlanta, I think they could probably sweep the Atlanta Hawks. Cool. Moving on to the Western Conference. Denver up top, number one, Memphis two, Sacramento three, Phoenix four. Interesting that um, Sacramento making the playoffs, it's awesome. Um, they got rid of that playoff uh, drought for so long, but finally back. And actually, I want to say they won the division, which is incredible. But looking here, Jason, I I have a hard time finding a true champion of the West. I'm I think Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, all kind of even. Suns, you can try and include them. Golden State, they started shaky. They they ended up they'll either end up as a five, six, or seven seed, which big if they're for the playing tournament or not. But I just think obviously Denver's got Jokic, um, Sacramento is a good team. It's hard to pinpoint one or the other that is probably going to come out of this conference on top. I think the team with the most on the line has to be the Phoenix Suns, though. I think. I think this is their best team that they've had um, since drafting Devin Booker eight years ago. They've surrounded him with a ton of talent, and they've gotten a player even better than him with Kevin Durant. So this is their year. I think Chris Paul is this is probably his last chance. We've given him a ton of last chances because of how great the Suns are. And um, I don't know, he's 37, going to be turning 38 um, in the coming months. Um, and I just don't know how much more he has in him. And uh, – Chris Paul is one of the greatest players of all time to ever win a ring, and I hope is that um he his name is able to leave that list and um be a, a more decorated player um and add an NBA championship to his resume. So I do think this is a great shot. I think there's a little less pressure on Kevin Durant than there has been in years past because I mean he's accomplished a ton. There's not anything he needs to prove, um, but I don't know if he wants to build some sort of goat resume. He can tack on some with the Phoenix Suns. Um. Here's the time, and Devin Booker will be proving himself um, a ton here as well as one of um, the best scorers in the game on a huge stage. And I don't know, I think this is the best chance that the Phoenix Suns have. I mean, going back, the Phoenix Suns were in the NBA Finals just two years ago. It was the pandemic. Teams, uh, it was the first year out of the bubble, but still... The the Phoenix Suns made it to the finals, and this was without Kevin Durant. They've totally improved since the acquisition of Kevin Durant, and they still make a deep run. I think Sacramento will make a deep run. I think Denver and Memphis, uh, you've got two teams hot, Sacramento and Phoenix, coming for their tail um, for that. Who will be the champion of the West? Yeah, there's a ton of teams here, and um, it really is a bummer that the Warriors and the Suns are playing in the first round. Well, they're set up to be at least with a five versus four seed. Um, but um, like I mentioned, I think the Suns are probably the favorite to make it out of the West. I get that the Nuggets have put together a fantastic team this year, um, and the cultures in Sacramento and Memphis are really fun to watch as well. But I, I don't know, at the same time, I, I think the Phoenix Suns, um, they just have all the pieces um, at the right time. Um, and I, I think this would be, this like I said, this would be the finishing touches to a great resume of Chris Paul, 
um, and it'll help the resume of Durant, of course, as he um, builds his case as one of the greatest players of all time as well. And um, I think this is the best chance they have. Chris Paul does not have many years left in him, and they can't get it done this year. They're going to be in a lot of huge financial trouble because they're not going to be able to retain the players that they want. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, KD, and DeAndre and are all on huge contracts. And um, come a few years, um, uh, Chris Paul and Kevin Durant will be pretty old. Um, Chris Paul, like I said, turning 38 soon. Kevin Durant is 34. And I just don't know how much longer um, these guys have it in them. And Kevin Durant's not slowing down, but definitely see it in Chris Paul. So this is probably their best chance. And despite all the talent in their way, I think that they have the assets, the coaching, the shooting, the defense, everything's there. This is definitely the best team they've had um, in the last 10 years. All right, we'll wrap up our NBA con um, discussion with the biggest thing, biggest storyline, I think, in my opinion, which is Kevin Ky- Kyrie Irving went to join Luka Doncic in Dallas, and the Mavs missed out on the playoffs. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, Jason? And Kyrie's probably um, annoyed that both the Nets made the playoffs and Kevin Durant with the Suns. Yeah, the Mavericks are a huge mess right now. They completely screwed up, and um, I don't know. I, I was really shocked to see this. I, I don't think Kyrie deserves a ton of blame for this because he's been playing really well. I feel like it's a bit of undeserved hate that he's been getting uh, just because, you know, he's not really the most likable player as a person. But, um, you know, as from a talent perspective, I feel like Kyrie Irving's added a ton to this team and exactly what they've needed. They um, they were lacking that other guard beside um, Luka to – um, provide some playmaking, and that's exactly what they got. Problem is, the rest of the team is just not good, and they have terrible coaching. Um, Jason Kidd is definitely, he's been proven time and time again to not be um, a coach that has translated from player to coach um, in a good way, um, and I think he's probably on his way out. And I was shocked to see last night um, all the starters that they sat. Um, I, I honestly do not believe that Kyrie Irving and all those players were all injured. I think they were just resting them, and um and only playing Luka Doncic for the first quarter was, was ridiculous because they were up big. Um, and also in the, in the third quarter, they were up by double digits. And I feel like, I don't know, they might have intentionally blown that lead last night to Chicago, and that resulted in getting eliminated. And the reason is they wanted to preserve their draft pick because of some protection on it because they lost their draft pick in the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade a few years back. Um, and I think if it's top 10 or lottery protected, um, that means the Mavericks would retain it. But if they were to make the playoffs, the pick goes to the New York Knicks. So um, that was one reason. But now the problem is today the NBA has been investigating them for everything that they've done in the last 24 hours with sitting all the players. Um, and that also could result in some sort of penalty. So maybe um, they should have actually tried to win that game because they lose their draft pick anyways. They could get stripped of the draft this way. And, and the other way is that um, they don't really get stripped of the draft pick. They actually win the game last night and make a play and push. And who knows, maybe they could have pulled off some crazy upsets, got into the playoffs and have a competitive series with the one-seeded Denver Nuggets. Who knows? I mean, NBA, of course, NBA community, of course, wants to see Luka and Kyrie in the playoffs. And I don't know, this, this just wasn't really um, of character of the Dallas Mavericks of a pretty respected organization over the years. Um, you know, I think um, there's a lot of questions about what Mark Cuban's thinking right now. I mean, he's built a great culture there, but... I don't know. This is probably um, rock bottom for the Dallas Mavericks organization. This is one of the worst things that could have ever happened to them. And they dug themselves into a hole that's going to be pretty hard to get out of. And 
you know, Kyrie Irving's also a free agent this offseason. And with the way the team has been the last um, few months, I cannot imagine that he would want to return here. I feel like another team is going to go um, go out and grab him because um, of the talent that he is and also his disloyalty to a team like Dallas. Um, I mean, he's also obviously he's known as a very um, he's not really known as the most loyal player, but this is the one time where I can't really blame him for blame him for wanting to leave because they have not set him up for success. With that, with CBJ Sports, April 8th Sports Headlines. Today, the Red Sox take on the Tigers at 4 p.m. Tanner Huck is on the mound. Sox won Thursday 6-3, heading off to yesterday. They'll close out the series tomorrow at 1 p.m. In MLS, the Revolution continue their homestand versus Montreal. It's a 7.30 p.m. kickoff from Gillette tonight. Revs are 4-1-1 so far this season with an undefeated record at Gillette. Montreal comes into the matchup last in the standings. You can listen to the call on Apple TV. Listen to Brad Feldman and Charlie Davies to the home radio call through Apple TV. And hockey, Bruins have two games this weekend. One home against the New Jersey Devils tonight, 8 p.m. tip on ABC. And tomorrow, away at Philadelphia Flyers, 6 p.m. tip on TNT. Win tonight, the Bruins would secure the all-time single-season wins record. Bruins have the best season, 61 wins, 127 points, top the league standings. In golf, the Masters leaderboard, although it did get suspended for the second day in a row, stands like this. And first, Brooks Copa from the U.S. at negative 13, minus 13. Second place is John Rahm from Spain, minus 9. And third is Sam Bennett from the U.S. at minus 6. And there's a little bit of a four-way tie for fourth. Like I said, I got suspended, so this is the up-to-date as when it was suspended at 3.15 this afternoon. Uh, Colin Morikara from U.S., Victor Hovland from Denver, uh, Denmark, um, Patrick Cantley from the U.S., and Mark Fitzpatrick from England. They're all tied at minus five. CBJ Show would like to thank Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is a free hosting platform from Spotify to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast. Anchor.fm is a browser-based, but there's also an Anchor app you can use from mobile at the App Store and Google Play. That'll do it for the CBJ Show. For Jason, for me, signing off. Thank you for listening.